Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. From now until September, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of Abe Books by interviewing sellers who joined us in 1996, the first year of our existence. We call these sellers heritage sellers, and today we're speaking to Ray Boas from Walpole in New Hampshire in the United States. Ray's bookselling heritage goes way back, so buckle in for some serious time travel. Welcome, Ray. Hi, Richard. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled that you uh, you asked me to join you and, and share my stories. We're excited to have you. Um, so it all began for you selling books in 1980. Uh, Jimmy Carter was president and the Internet was still some crazy, impossible idea. How did book selling begin for you? Well, actually, it started even earlier than that. Um, uh, my interest in books goes back actually to the early 1960s. Uh, there have been threads that have run through my life um, my entire life, books, printing, photography, publishing. So you can see that those all go together, obviously. Um, I used to ride my bicycle um, in the 60s to antique shops in, in my in my town in Connecticut where I was growing up. And um, I would see books that were curious to me and I would pick them up. Um, one thing leads to another, and as a preteen, I got a job at the local library shelving books. And I earned all of a dollar and 25 cents for an hour and a half's work, uh, two afternoons a week. But also, there were book sale shelves down in the basement where things were brought in um, that the library couldn't use. And um, I started buying books there and just accumulating things that caught my eye and appeared to be out of the ordinary that I wasn't shelving upstairs. Off to college, of course, I worked in a transportation center library at Northwestern. Um, I was browsing old bookshops uh, through Chicago. Um, and the Deering Library, again, there had fantastic sales, and I would buy odd things that um, caught my eye, absolutely for no reason other than I knew that they were different. I was commissioned um, in 1968 in the United States Navy Supply Corps, which is the business end of the Navy. I, I was not a, sh a ship driver, uh, basically shore-based the entire time. But I really couldn't get back to playing with books, so to speak, on, until the late 70s when I was stationed in the Philadelphia area and, and didn't really move um, again in um for a long time. I started browsing around sales and, and, and picking things up that were curious. And then I said that I really, really needed to learn more. And I discovered A.B. Bookman's Weekly, which was the, um, uh, the go-to source for buying and selling books prior to the internet. I started studying the ads. Um, and I started selling books through classified ads in A.B. Bookman's Weekly. 
And um, really enjoyed doing that because I'm finding something, challenging my own curiosity, and then finding somebody else that wants that. Tying in with my interest in business history, which tied in with with my Navy Supply Corps uh, business background, um, I I discovered something called scripophily, collectors of antique stocks and bonds. So I started getting a publication called um, Friends of Financial History, which uh, people were selling these antique pieces of paper for the signatures, for the illustrations, what have you. And I started picking up more and more business books, business financial and history books, thinking that, you know, here's somebody that I could market these books to in a catalog. And I did just that. I put together my first catalog while still on active duty in the Navy. This became a a sort of a a part time um, um, avocation. And I mailed the catalog to everybody that was advertising in the in the magazine thinking that they could utilize my books as um, a way to increase value of what they were selling because they could learn some history about the people or the companies. Right. So, that, tell, Ray, tell us a bit more about the uh, AB Bookman, the, the the magazine. So when you placed a classified ad, it was like a, an online listing, except you'd be – it's in a magazine, basically. Where would the orders come from? Uh, all, all all over the country. Um, A.B. Bookman's, um, unfortunately, because of the Internet, uh, closed in 1999. It didn't make the transition with with the online source of being able to buy and sell books. It was around since 1951. Um, the, the fellow um, who ended up having to close it was Jake Chernofsky. You know, it was a, a big, thick magazine, wonderful articles in it. Um, and then what most people subscribed it to was for the advertising, either the selling of books um, or people back in the old days. Um, I'm sure you've talked to people who had search services. Um, people who didn't know where to find a book would go to a bookstore and then the bookstores would say, I'll find the book for you that place an ad uh, in A.B. Bookman's Weekly. And the protocol was that if you had the book, you you quote them um, the book you have for sale on a postcard, mail a postcard off and and hope that that um, bookseller uh, is able to purchase your book for his customer. A long, laborious process. Uh, it could take weeks for somebody to find a book, but that was the only thing we had until the internet came along. Right. So, was any of it done on the telephone? Could people call you up and say, "I'm interested in the classified listing"? Yes, by all means. Um, I, I can distinctly uh, remember walking out the door of the house one day and the phone rings and it was a uh, a book firm in Washington, D.C. Um, who wanted a, a DCWPA guide that I had just found and, and listed for sale. And I was thrilled. But I would get um, the phone orders and then also um, normally if it was something that was really sought after, you get a phone call, please hold it. And my check is in the mail to you. And the checks would always show up because, as you've probably heard, booksellers are are good, honest people and do what they say they're going to do. Right. Now, you, you spent 22 years in the U.S. Navy. So during that period of time, 
What role did books play in your life? Well, as I said, I, I started doing the part-time sales um, on business and financial histories and biographies. Um, and I was doing a couple catalogs a year until I retired in January of 1990. I was still advertising in AB, but I was doing the catalogs. So in making the transition, the week before I retired, there was a stock and bond show in Pennsylvania. I took my uh, business and financial histories and biographies there and did quite well. Um, six days later, I, I retired uh, from the Navy. I had a stock of about a thousand books and I owned a storefront in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And it just made sense to take off my uniform and, and put up a sign and become a bookseller. And that's what I did. So you opened a bookshop in New Jersey straight away? Uh, yes, uh, the day after I retired. And what, what was that career change like from the Navy to bookselling? Well, it, it wasn't hard. Um, as, a, as a supply corps officer, the majority of my jobs, the last part of my career, I was my own boss working for admirals that were, were distant and far away. So I was used to, to managing my own time, being my own boss. Um, because I had had the catalog sales, I was familiar with that. Um, it, it just, it just, worked. Um, I started getting house calls um, to go buy books. Cars started pulling up at the door and uh, the trunks would open up. And, and again, I just had a good feel for what I should buy. And you learn a lot from your customers. As customers started coming in and you learn what people are looking for. Now, I consider myself mainly a purveyor of information. Um, my interest is mainly in nonfiction. Uh, first editions, modern first editions and fiction is not something that's really been my forte. And particularly back in the 90s, modern first editions were really art objects. They still are art, ob art objects because the whole value can be determined upon whether there is a dust jacket and what condition the dust jacket is in. Um, so I'm not sure whether I answered that question, uh, the, the what you would have wanted to hear or not, as far as the transition, which really was was very, very easy. I started doing book shows. This was back in the days when there were particularly wonderful um, book shows in the Philadelphia area. You know, I, I bought the folding book racks. You rent a table. You join the other dealers. The book shows were so good in the early 90s that um, there was one show opened on a Friday night and it was open also on Saturday and Sunday. When the show closed on Friday night, I had to go back to the shop and load up almost 10 cartons of books to restock what I had sold on the opening couple of hours. It, it was th it was that crazy. Um, I just don't think there are that many um, book fairs. Well, I stopped doing book fairs myself because the the revenue from shows, people can just buy their books online now. So we'll get to the, all these changes, I'm sure, with that, that with a question later. With your first bookshop, what, what was the things that you had to learn? You, you talk about um, 
judging books for their informational value. What were you learning as you were going along in these early years of having a bookshop? Well, one of the things that I had, I read about every year in A.B. Bookman's Weekly was the out-of-print and antiquarian book market seminar and workshop, which they held in Denver every year. I promised myself that I would sign up the year I retired, and I attended that course in, um, in August of 1990. Um, at that time, A.B. Bookman's uh, Jake Chernofsky was involved with it, along with um, Margaret Grogan, who I believe was out at the, the Denver uh, Library School. Um, some great people were there to teach us. For example, Jean Palmer, who had um, books, Polar Books years ago, she was an IRS agent and doing a bookseller part-time. I learned all about the, the, the business aspects for accounting and so forth uh, to satisfy IRS requirements. That was real important. Some of the great booksellers of the day, like Michael Ginsburg, were, were on the staff uh, teaching the, those of us who wanted to learn more about how to be a bookseller. And one of the most important people I met was Dick Weatherford. You may recall Dick. He was there talking about computers uh, for books. And at the book school, he told me about a program which had been developed as a database management system for attorneys called Notebook. And he said, Ray, you should buy that, learn how to use it. It's got data fields, and that way you can easily develop your catalogs. So, well, was, so we should explain who Dick is. So Dick was uh, the one of the people behind the early versions of a Libris, which is a marketplace similar to a books. That's exactly right. Dick Dick developed Interlock uh, in 1993. He called me and said that he was going live with Interlock. And uh, Tom Sawyer uh, developed uh, his whole um, uh, system called Record Manager. In fact, it's a DOS program, and I still run my business on that program that was developed by Tom Sawyer for Interlock. Um, I've got 71,000 records there now. I keep all my records there, even if they're not active, because in case I get another book. So it was in 1998 that... Um, Interlock changed uh, to a Libris. You know, there's been lots of changes for the online book sites, and I've been involved with about a dozen of them over, over the years. So really, it was at the book school that I learned how to run a, a book business, number one, from, from the financial aspects. Uh, there were courses on cataloging. Um, and then the, the real prize for me was getting to know Dick and developing that relationship with a few years later brought me online in 1993, um, having done beta testing for him and getting Interlock going. Right. So you were involved in the very early days where it was an idea. Well, yes. In fact, um, my oldest son, uh, who's a computer whiz and scientist, was over one day when he saw my the notebook program and he said, Dad, you know, we could buy a server. You could get an inter you could get an internet connection here, and you could rent space out to other booksellers um, 
to host their inventory, and then they could sell paying you a subscription fee. Well, guess what? That's basically the whole idea of online books, um, the same as as Ape has been doing since since um, day one, hosting other people's inventory, having a monthly fee and, and a commission. So if we um, if we jump forward then a couple of years to mm-hmm. or to the summer of 1996, that's when you okay. joined Ape Books, and you really were one of the first ones. There wasn't many before you. Um, what can you remember about the early days of online book selling um, that summer? There were days, and at that point in time, I was on Interlock. Abe came live. I was helping Michael Seltzer develop BiblioFind um, uh, because I had an online database and he borrowed mine to develop that platform. He came online a few months later. I describe the mid to late 90s when uh, Kathy and I married and moved the shop to uh, New Preston, Connecticut on the waterfall. I would get up in the morning and almost be in tears, not knowing how I was going to get through the day because I had so many book orders uh, to process and 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 ship out. At the same time, cars were coming up to the door with loads of books. I was getting house calls. Um, it was it was just wild. We just had no idea how we were going to get through. It changed, though. In time, it changed. Um, We were in an area outside New York City, um, a weekend retreat, a weekend escape. A New York Times reporter came in, uh, loved the shop. It was in an old barn, et cetera, et cetera, nicely decorated, if I may say so. Um, Wanted to do uh, an interview and an article, and we were featured on the front page of the Connecticut uh, Sunday section on one Sunday. The quote that that uh, the reporter put in that little box that they, they sometimes put is that I feel more like a book mover than a bookseller. Um, my my late bride was was busy doing uh, cataloging for me and I was buying and packing and um, it was really crazy. Now, it changed. I mean, there were four or five years where I just didn't know how I could manage um, each each day, which was which is a nice problem to have. It was just just the two of us. But as online book selling was made easier, uh, the cost of getting involved to become a bookseller, whether you didn't have to have a storefront, you didn't have to have a, a large inventory, you just needed one book. Um, online book selling between the early days and now is the classic supply and demand scenario. There were just a few of us online. There were people all over the country that were not located close to bookstores. And all of a sudden, now they could get the books that they needed. Uh, There were just a few of us there. Based upon the early days with catalog prices, um, we had prices, good prices for books. They had value. 
the demand was there and and they just flew off the shelf now as that demand of course was being satisfied there were more booksellers who were coming along and i use that term a little bit loosely because they might have four or five books that they found you know in their neighbor's garage um you know and oh my goodness it's online for $25 i can price my copy at $22 so the prices start started coming down as the demand was already being satisfied did you feel that it was a like a a pivotal moment that it was a sea change in the business that summer um it w- it was the beginning it was the beginning and in, in fact when we moved to New Hampshire, we consciously closed um, the shop because my online business was more than enough to provide all of our needs. Um, it, it's harder to buy not having an open shop, but I'm well known for for what I what I pay well for books, so I still have a supply of books. Um, but. It probably took for me another five, six years to make the decision that this doesn't wasn't really working um, anymore having a shop. I mean, it was six to seven days a week uh, when you're just online quite. We still in the early 2000s, we were working constantly. But if we wanted to do something for the afternoon, cross country ski or something, we could go do it, which was a nice, nice change. Um so can you remember those early orders? Were they coming from the United States or were you getting them from all over the world, even in those early years? All over the world. Um, I would probably ship, I don't know, a half dozen to 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 10 books um, overseas, mainly to Japan every week. Um, overseas orders now because postal prices have gotten outrageous uh, i just sent a, a book to australia that somebody really needed the shipping the book was eighty dollars the book was um the book was eighty dollars the shipping was seventy six dollars and fifty cents global priority back in the late 90s was six dollars and ninety five cents extremely affordable what's happening now is there appear to be companies that have cropped up that are handling the overseas orders and, and doing some sort of freight consolidation. I don't know what their business model is, but I can certainly recognize when the order comes in that I know it's going to um, to either, um, you know, if it's going out through the West Coast, it's going to Asia. If it's going through uh, Pennsylvania, it's going to the European area. So, You've been uh, an online bookseller now for an awful long time. What are the what are the outstanding memories that you've had of this period? Is it the the books that you've found and sold, or is it the people that you've met? It it's a combination. Um, Back when we had the shop in Connecticut, I was able to work with collectors and build their collections. I, I moved into uh, a decorative arts and antique reference material, and I built a number of furniture book collections and glass book collections. Um, people who need needed the reference material. Um, in fact, two of those collections, the 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 uh, the widows contacted me, and I and 
I bought the collections back, but as I explained to them, the prices unfortunately had, had dropped since their husbands had purchased them. I think we had some wonderful experiences buying books in Connecticut. I got a call one day um, from the people who were handling the residuals of the estate of um, Ursula Nordstrom. Ursula was the children's book editor for Harper and Rowe oh, for over 20 years. Ursula discovered Maurice Sendak, um, the children's book um, author and illustrator. Um, I bought the estate, the books from the estate, a lot of paper, ephemera, um, some of her own books and so forth, and uh, began working with it. And for some some way, the biographer of Ner Ursula Nordstrom ended up one weekend in the shop, and we started talking about it. And I said, oh, let me show you a collection I just bought. Well, then word got out to Maurice Sendak's publicist, and in 2001, before we moved here, my late wife and I had visits with Maurice Sendak. Um, he wanted to purchase, well, he didn't want to purchase, he wanted uh, the material that I had purchased. Um, he told us I'm a self-proclaimed uh, curmudgeon and, and cheap. Um, but I, <laughs> but, I, but I, want, I, I want everything because when my estate, my, my books are going to go to the Rosenbach Museum. Well, one thing led to another uh, with lots of negotiations through um, uh, Maurice's um, publicist, Justin Schiller, who is a renowned bookseller himself. And Maurice got everything he wanted, including Ursula's diary. And, um, and we got a number of books that he illustrated, signed, some original artwork that he gave us. And it was just a great time. In fact, getting ready for today, I went through and I pulled out the whole folder that uh, I kept on, on on those many, many, actually it was almost a year, and uh, really enjoyed rereading the thank you note that my, my late bride sent to Maurice for the wonderful afternoon we spent with him at his house and studio. Wow. So that's, so one, of, that's one of my better memories. I don't suppose you sold a signed first edition of Where the Wild Things Are then? No, I didn't have a first. I had a second. Um, there, there's fine points on the colors and the dust jacket. And and, and between Maurice and Justin, uh, the book that I had from, from Ursa's library was not a first. Right. Okay. So I before the interview, I was reading your website and you say... You talk about a miracle story that happened in 2002 when you relocated to Walpole in New Hampshire. So what's the story there? What was so special? Well, um, we were working six to seven days a week. Um, in 2002, we, we took a, a, an overnight and went into Manhattan for um, a Fashion Institute of Technology opening because one of one of our um uh customers uh ran fit she had a book coming out uh and a show called the, the color red and my wife of course asked her for tickets for the opening so we went the second day we um uh took off was in may and we decided to come up to vermont for an overnight 
We had previously been coming up to Vermont and New Hampshire from Connecticut on one or two day overnights when there used to be shops, both bookshops and antique shops everywhere. I can show you all the vacant buildings now. Uh, we would have the van filled with books um, by the second stop. But on this one overnight, we went into an antique center and there was a woman there who turned around from her book booth and she said, oh, you're Ray Boas, aren't you? And and I said, yes. And she said, I'm Lorraine. And then, then it clicked. We used to buy books from Ken and Lorraine at their bookshop in, in Vermont, which they had sold and retired. She said that... Um, her husband would be in shortly. He's very slow now. He was failing very rapidly from a rare form of Parkinson's disease. She looked at us square in the face and um, said, um, if you have a long range plan, don't wait, do it now. Um, our long range plan was to close the shop, get 20, 30 acres up in the Litchfield Hills and and uh, and and have fun just selling books online. But Kathy and I had great nonverbal communication. We looked at each other and on the way home, we decided we're moving um, and and closing the shop. And and basically in two weeks, we sold our place in Connecticut. I'm shortening the story, the short story anyway, <laughs> and, and, and bought our place uh, here in New Hampshire. Um, we ended up not with 20 or 30 acres. I'm in a colonial village within an 1806 um, colonial sitting on the common. I had to build an addition for my books, of course. But our friends were right because in the process during our move, Kathy got sick, several operations that was taken care of. But six years after we got here, she had a massive um, heart attack and died behind the wheel. And that was 13 years ago. And our friends were right. If you have a long range plan, don't put it off because life is too short. Sorry to hear that, Ray. Oh, um, th it thank like you. you and Kathy were, it sounds like you and Kathy were a, were a team, a book selling team. It it was just a wonderful connection. Um, second marriages for us both. Um, it it just it it just was wonderful. Um, uh, you know, we we each had our things that we did, and this is something we, she learned. We both learned, but in talking with somebody, if if because people couldn't understand how we could survive with one vehicle and be together twenty four hours a day. Uh, the bottom line is in a real good, successful relationship, you each have what you do um, and you do it. And and she helped a great deal um, with the cataloging and took care of, of, of household things. And I did, um, you know, the outside of the house and, and uh, basically uh, uh, ran everything else in the shop, the buying, the catalog, well, some of the cataloging, um, shipping, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would take, you know, four tubs of books to the post office each day. Um, it was great. It was great. But but let me just just say, in getting through something like that, I came up with a phrase, accept and adjust. Uh, you never know what God is going to have dealt you, but you have to accept it and and adjust. Um, I could have gone off the deep end or just kept on going. And the smart thing I'm sure she wants me to do is just to keep on going, which I did. Right. So in your New Hampshire home, did, did you build an extension then to, to keep your books in? I did. Um, 
it's it's three floors um and we had learned when we got married and were moving to Connecticut um, in the house hunt there, we learned that it's hard to find a place to put, you know, 15,000 books on the shelf and, and make it something inviting. So moving here, we took that out of the equation. It would be nice if something was already existed. But when we found this house, it was just the perfect location, the perfect place for us, and the perfect place to put an addition. So it's it's like Eric Sloan's, um, um, well, not not his book, uh, the, the book that's Big House, Little House, Back House, Barn. I mentioned Eric Sloan because of his, his book on barns. I own the original drawing on the New Hampshire farmhouse, which is uh, essentially the same thing, the big house, little house, back house, barn. Um, so we built uh, what looks like a barn. Um, it's our house, the garage that the previous owner has built in 1970 on, on the 1806, and then my, my bookshop that I built 19 years ago. Right. Now, I also noticed on your website that it's not just books, but you collect matchbox cars, too. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your little car collection. Well, that's something that goes back to college. I mean, I couldn't have... I grew up with old cars with my dad. I learned how to drive in a Model T. I had a, a Model A Ford all through uh, high school and college. Um in college, I started collecting the little cars. Um, right now, I have to walk from the house into the shop, and I, I pass a 1929 Model A Ford, a 1960 uh, MGA, a 1958 TR3A, a 1902 Credor's popcorn wagon, and an early 1890s Bartholopeel popcorn uh, peanut machine, all things I enjoy collecting. But it's not just the Matchbox things. Um, I... I've collected World Fairs items, postcards, um, but something Kathy and I started, and, and this I don't have on my website yet, but I, but I have to illustrate it, is when we started going to antique shops before we were married, we started buying what we call bookalikes, something that looks like a book, but is not a book, it was made to function as something else. We did the formal parlor, um, one wall of bookshelves in the formal parlor in our house here, looks like a library, um, floor to ceiling shelves, but there's not a single real book in that room. There are things that look like books, but serve another function, be it a biscuit tin. Um, I have two leather bound sets, faux leather bound sets that conceal radios. Um, the speaker comes through between some of the spines. The door opens so you can get, get to the labels. Um, uh, Huntley Palmer made many of their um, biscuit tins in the shape of, of, of books. And they made about nine of them. And finally, I found the last one, an example, the last one uh, they um to complete my collection about a, about a year and a half ago, which which has absolutely thrilled me. I've got books that conceal. Oh, this was a fun one that that I bought really early on. I was in an antique shop owned by two ladies down in down in New Jersey. I saw it there, and it looks just like a book. It's velvet covered, 
and it was a, um, a, a package for the for nylon stockings, which are still inside. Um, it's just a it's just a fun collection, and that was the one that we were most most proud of. So I've always collected something, and um, I wanted to start illustrating the matchbooks box cars. I want to illustrate my my bookalikes. I want to do a booklet or or um, a book on my bookalikes because. You know, that ties into company histories. I have one, some that are perfume containers. I have another where it's, uh, in fact, the, one of the first ones that Kathy and I found. It's one of the old cigarette stands with an ashtray. And then there's a marble-looking uh, um, uh, book, which opens up, and that's where the cigarettes were kept. So In the I'll, have, I'll, I'll have to share that collection with you sometime. Yeah, you'll have to show me. Um, so after all these years, what does the future hold for you now? What are your plans? Um, to keep on doing what I'm going to be doing. Um, I mean, books are everything. Um, I, they're keeping me young. Uh, they're keeping me mentally active. Um, I'm writing all the time. I publish a monthly newspaper, so I'm writing for that. But I also do um, uh, history articles for that. I, I've done a couple history publications, local histories. Um, I think that what keeps keeps my mind going um, is having the the access to books. I was researching a town across the river in Vermont the other day, tying into some buildings that were moved to Old Surbridge Village. And I said, wait a minute. I went into the shop and pulled out four books off of my own shelves that would help me in, in my research. Um, so that's what I look at all the time is, is the fact that I will always be buying and selling books because of the mental stimulation. I can't get enough learning. And I love sharing. I love sharing with my writing. And I also love getting a book to the home where it's going to be loved next, whether it's a $5 book, which basically when I sell it and ship it, I'm losing money on. But I don't know what impact that that book is going to make on the next per next owner's life. So when you had a when you had the open bookshops, the books would come to you, even though you do house calls as well. But today, where, where you're a house, a home-based seller, how do you get your stock? How do you get new stock? Um, I'm still pretty well known. And um, again, people will search online. Um, just last week, a week ago today, I went over to Vermont. And I always want to know how people found me. And she said, oh, I did a, 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 a online search. Um, who buys books? And my name popped up. So I drove over there. I'm still working with some pickers. Um, the old term, pickers. Um, so is that one, like a book scout? A book, exactly. Um, but I've been, I'm still working with, with one fellow who drove up to the shop in Connecticut about 22 years ago. He and I hit it off. Um, he keeps the accessioning his, his fine antiques and, and um, decorative arts and furniture library when he doesn't need things. Um, he would ship them to me, although in April we met halfway between Connecticut and here in Massachusetts. And um, he's been selling to me because... 
we've just had a wonderful relationship um, for all these years. So it, it, it's a, it's a, you know, the business is me. I mean, I have the books, but it, it's me who, um, without trying to sound strange by saying this, all I have, all I have is is my reputation, and I care about my reputation so that people will continue to sell me books, and also so that if somebody buys a book from me. They had a good experience, and the next time they have a decision to make <coughs> online, they'll buy from me again. Because nowadays with the online book book world, it's onesie twosies at the most. You're not building collections anymore. All right, Ray, uh, one final question, which we ask to all our guests, and that is, what book or books are you currently reading? Um. What what piques my interest in any given moment? Uh, I'm doing some local history reading um, right now in a town I'm trying to learn about across the river in Vermont. Uh, I've become fascinated with colonial tinsmithing, so I'm trying to read up on how that was done. I mean, I did take a course at Old Sturbridge Village once, but I, w- I need to learn more. And from time to time, I haven't picked up any mysteries in a good while, but I will find a writer that I really enjoy because of the character development and the plots and and go through a whole series uh, of a mystery writer. And I'm sorry I don't have the names at the tip of my tongue. Um, one who does an auction house, somebody else who was out in out in uh, California, you know, read some recently about a a uh, off the grid uh, place up in Canada. But I'm mainly nonfiction. Um, during the winter time, I live in an area which hasn't changed much in close to 200 years. I could never get a grasp on. The Revolutionary War, the French and Indian Wars, but but where I live now, there's a recreated fort um, based upon the engraving that was on uh, on a on a powder horn just down the road uh, across Massachusetts uh, on the Mohawk Trail. There was a development, and I just got hooked about the whole development there over the wintertime, and I read about five or six books about the development um, along the border there between Massachusetts and Vermont and the the last um, uh, Indian wars and attacks there. Um, so not titles, but it's more genres that, that grab me. Right. I understand. All right. Um, so, Ray, one final comment from me, and it's a thank you from everybody at Abe Books. I want to thank you for selling with us and sticking with us for 25 years. That is quite the achievement. Thank you so much. Well, I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate having the time with you. And, and to be truthful, um you know, if something doesn't work, I don't do it. So um, obviously, A Books has has worked for me, and um, um, it's a changed world. But um, you know, you can look at my sales; they've been up and down. It changes. Um, 
I don't have any bad books, but sometimes I own a book for 30 years. I shipped one today that I owned 30 years, but cataloged 25 years ago. Um, and that was an A book order. Thank you. Sometimes I say to my colleagues that the only thing that doesn't change is that there's constant change here. But uh, I'm sure you know that. Yes, but this this was a treat. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to bookseller Ray Boas for joining us. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Ray is an Abe Books heritage seller located in Walpole, New Hampshire. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.